0: Welcome to this reading of the Business Record for the week of January 5th, 2024, our first edition of Business Record this year. I'm Pat Steele and all material heard on IRIS is intended for the use of listeners with print disabilities. And now here's our first story. Wells Fargo sells properties in western suburbs to local entities. This is a story by Kathy Bolton, a writer for the Business Record. Wells Fargo has sold two of its West Suburban office properties at prices well below the property's assessed valuations, Polk and Dallas County real estate transaction data shows. A financial institution sold property at 7001 West Town Parkway and 1725 68th Street in West Des Moines for $16.5 million to WB Realty Company, a Central Iowa commercial and residential brokerage firm. The property is valued at just over $73.2 million. Wells Fargo also sold property at 13733 University Avenue in Clive to the Heartland Co-op for nearly $6.5 million. That property is valued at $16.1 million. In early 2023, Wells Fargo announced that it was relocating many of its Des Moines area employees to its Jordan Creek campus in West Des Moines. Buildings on the 168-acre campus have undergone over $40 million in renovations to accommodate the additional workers. Wells Fargo home mortgage officials had been located at both the West Town and University Avenue. Wells Fargo is also listed for sale properties it owns in downtown Des Moines. Ryan Wiederstein, owner of WB Realty Company, said the company will lease space in the six-story, 450000 415,636-square-foot office building that was constructed in 2000. Leasing options for potential tenants will range from 4,000 square feet up to the entire building for a single tenant, he said. Winderstein, in a prepared statement, added, We are excited to provide businesses with this Class A office opportunity in a thriving business environment. The 7001 West Town Parkway vacancy now stands as the largest available office space in a single building in the western suburbs market the 28 acre parcel also includes an underground data center that is located beneath the parking lot the underground data center is encased in a rubber membrane that provides unique waterproof protection to the center according to information on loopnet.com the office building includes newly installed solar panels and open atrium cafeteria and fitness center over seven million dollars in upgrades have been made to the building since 2019 according to the dallas county assessor in 2022 the roof was replaced solar panels were added and the fire system panel was upgraded the chillers were rebuilt in 2021 and new revolving doors were added in 2019 and 2022 according to a loopnet.com report plans for the building Include the addition of a restaurant that will serve tenants as well as nearby residents and businesses, according to a news release. Dan Carlson, WB Realty Project Manager, said in a prepared statement, We're exploring unique amenities such as indoor pickleball courts and golf simulators. These amenities, along with the central location, will help businesses attract and retain employees. Few new Class A office projects are expected to be built in the western suburbs during the next three years, according to news release. High interest rates are deterring some companies from building new offices, and instead some are considering relocating into existing vacant spaces. The decline in new construction is expected to drive demand for existing high-quality office spaces, according to Brittany Freund, WB Realty's Senior Vice President of Commercial Real Estate. This demand, she said, along with attractive rental rates, will position 707001 West Town Parkway as a key choice for businesses looking for Class A office space. The property's assessed valuation of $73.2 million is nearly $10 million, or 15.5% more than in 2022, when its valuation was $63.37 million, according to the Assessor's Information Office. The transaction also includes 1.7 acres at 1725 68th Street, on which a surface parking lot is located. That property is valued at $674,710. Listing agents in the transaction recorded December 29th include Justin Lossner, Jeffrey Miller, Michael Menard, and Lucas Hedstrom, all of JLL's Des Moines offices. In a related transaction, Heartland Co op has acquired the Wells Fargo property at 13733 University Avenue. Officials from Heartland Co op did not respond to a request for comment. The 11 acre parcel includes a three story, 103,813 square foot building that was constructed in 1999. The property is near Heartland Co op's administrative offices at 2829 Westtown Parkway in West Des Moines. The cooperative leases office space in the building. The cooperative operates grain elevators in over 70 locations in Iowa, Nebraska, and Texas. The transaction between Heartland Co op and Wells Fargo was recorded on December 28th. MediaCom communications announced that it has completed the transition of its West Des Moines network to the new 10G platform which aims to achieve the symmetrical speeds of fiber on a cable network. The 10G platform will allow Mediacom to scale from current speeds of 1 gigabyte to 10 gigabytes per second and beyond in the coming years according to a press release. It will also close the bridge between download speeds and typically much slower Uh, upload speeds, which is used for video calling and streaming live video. In the affected areas, the company's existing plans will get a boost in upload speeds without requiring any new infrastructure updates. The next cities in Iowa to get 10G are Bertram, Cedar Rapids, Des Moines, Fairfax, Hiawatha, and Marion. Des Moines-based Tractor Zoom has acquired Anvil AppWorks. A move, company officials say, will expand Tractor Zoom's ag tech offerings and bring jobs to Iowa. Tractor Zoom is a data company that helps people find and value farm equipment. It also helps them to get pre-approved uh, to be get pre-approved. I'm sorry to finance it through a streamlined process. Anvil AppWorks is a customer relationship management company designed for original equipment manufacturing farm equipment dealers. The decision to acquire Anvil AppWorks stems from our commitment to helping leaders in agriculture make empowered, data-driven decisions when it comes to valuing heavy equipment." That's a statement from Kyle McMahon, the CEO and founder of TractorZoom. He added, This acquisition allows us to scale our ag tech products and bring further innovation to the market, benefiting our dealer customers and the industry as a whole. TractorZoom's pro product gives dealers real-time supply and pricing information to help them better manage their inventories and increase turnaround on deals. Anvil AppWorks, based in Plymouth, Minnesota, offers a dealer-specific platform designed to streamline internal sales and equipment data management. According to the release, by acquiring Anvil AppWorks, TractorZoom hopes to unify dealership data with real-time supply and pricing info Tractor Zoom will continue to operate from its headquarters in West Des Moines. It will add 16 employees from Minnesota, according. Elsewhere from the January 5th edition of the Business Record, the Center at 6th, a planned market and business incubator supporting entrepreneurs from underserved communities, has secured a $700,000 grant from the Wells Fargo Foundation. The funds will be used to complete construction of a two-story commercial and residential space at 1714. 6th Avenue in Des Moines, with an expected completion date in the fall of 2024. The building will have 9,000 square feet, including an on-site commercial kitchen and an indoor market where small business tenants can directly sell their products. Marques Ashworth said in a prepared statement, Wells Fargo understands our vision for the center at 6th and has stepped up to make it a reality. Ashworth is a Des Moines entrepreneur and a member of the Business Records 2023 40 Under 40 class and is spearheading this project. Incubators help launch businesses such as Nadia's French Bakery and Jambo African Cuisine by helping them with startup costs and other logistics. Staff from the Center at Sixth and the Evelyn K. Davis Center help Nadia's owner Blandine Nadia Ahusu find commercial kitchen space, sell her goods at the downtown farmer's market, and move into a storefront, which will open in January. Not is an example of what we're hoping to achieve with the center at six, but in greater numbers, Esworth said. Having kitchen and retail space in one location will make it possible for us to help more people turn ideas into viable businesses. In 2022, the project received a $3 million grant from the Iowa Nonprofit Innovation Fund, and a $300,000 matching grant from the city of Des Moines. The donation from Wells Fargo is the largest from our private foundation to date, according to the release. Laura Howe, regional banking executive at Wells Fargo, said, Small businesses add life and joy to our neighborhoods, and as the bank of doing, we're committed to helping them succeed financially. The name, the center at six, pays homage to the former Center Street Business District, once the core of Des Moines' black small business community, until its demise during the construction of Interstate 235 in the late 1950s. Business Publications uh, 2023 newsmakers, uh, I'm sorry, news change makers talk about their goals, strategies for the future. Uh, this was a story written by a combination of business record staff And the first person they talked to was Kevin Foley, who was the executive director of Des Moines International Airport. It took Des Moines International Airport officials and the city's business and civic leaders five years of campaigning and educating the public on what an expanded facility and new terminal could do for the region before a $350 million bond referendum was ready to go to voters this year. Nearly 80% of voters who participated approved. The outcome will be apparent in the near term, and possibly for decades, an estimated $75 million in savings for the parking garage expansion and new terminal. That means more gates to allow more flights into a busier Des Moines Airport. Kevin Foley told the Business Record the day after the November 8th election that the voters decision adds additional ammunition for us to go to additional government entities, specifically federal and state, and say, hey, look, we've got all the support in the world. Your constituents are saying this has to get done. Stories like these bring change to Central Island. People behind them are change makers. On December 13th, Business Publications Corporation awarded our inaugural News Changemaker Awards for 2023. 18 finalists and six winners were honored as part of the company's 2040 event to celebrate the 20th anniversary of DSM Magazine and the 40th anniversary of the business record. The finalists were selected by the business record and DSM magazines and magazine readers through nominations, and more than 1,000 votes were cast to determine this year's winners. The awards recognized people and organizations making headlines in business and culture, and we asked the finalists to reflect on their legacy, explain their strategies for success, and look toward the future. And The uh, first one they interviewed of the winners was... Uh, former mayor Frank County, and he was chosen as the legacy uh, winner. After serving as mayor of Des Moines for 20 years, County chose not to seek re-election. His tenure was noted for an increase in city park access and a focus on environmental issues. He was first elected mayor in in 2003 and took office in 2004. Since then, he has helped lead downtown growth and revitalization and efforts to increase residential housing downtown. He's also known for his environmental work and increasing access to city parks. County, age 75, said it was the transparency, communication, and collaboration of the city, business owners, and residents that have led to the revitalization of downtown, making it an economic hub for Iowa and the region. It's that convening of groups that he credits for Des Moines' growth and for positioning the city for continued growth in the future. And the next uh, winning category was in culture, and the winner there was Molly Phillips, executive director and general manager of Iowa PBS. Phillips is retiring from Iowa PBS after 34 years with the organization, the last 10 in her current role. Iowa PBS has thrived under her leadership, a time that included its 50th anniversary. During Phillip's tenure, Iowa PBS expanded its programming and responded to new trends in broadcasting technology, including the addition of PBS Kids programming and YouTube channels, multiple live streams, and on-demand viewing. She helped lead the organization rebrand at the network and earned dozens of national awards and regional Emmys. The next category was the Business Story of the Year, and the winner was Des Moines International Airport as it breaks ground on expansion. The Des Moines Airport Authority broke ground on its terminal expansion received an affirmative bond vote from the community. Airport Executive Director Kevin Foley and the Des Moines International Airport Authority have navigated the plan to expand the airport, including the new terminal and the expansion of the parking garage. Foley and other airport officials said the improvements are an integral component to continuing the economic development momentum the region has seen in recent years. The airport received a big boost in November when Polk County voters overwhelmingly approved a $350 million bond issue to help fund the first phase of construction of a new terminal. The airport celebrated the beginning of construction on a new terminal with a groundbreaking ceremony in the fall of 2023. Completion of the first phase of the new terminal is planned for the fall of 2026. The next category is the cultural story of the year, and this award recognizes a notable story of a nonprofit cultural organization or cultural leader success and achievement that have made a significant uh, excuse me significant contribution to the community. And the winner was Easter Lake. Easter Lake's new recreation site will be one of the most universally accessible waterfront parks in the country. the Athene North Shore Recreation Area project at Easter Lake Park was designed to be a universally accessible waterfront with features to make the beach and activities like canoeing and rowing available to all. The process used to design the space, which was led by Molly Whipker and partners at Shive Hattery and the Harkin Institute, is available as a tool for other project leaders seeking to apply universal design. After renovations are completed in 2024, Polk County Conservation will have completed $23.2 million in renovations since 2018. Across the park, more than $8 million was raised through local and state funding, along with private donations. Fundraising was led by former KC CEO Bob Myers, former High V CEO Rick Jurgens, and EMC um, CEO uh, Scott Jean. The next category was Business Leader, Newcomer of the Year. This award recognizes a business leader who is new to the community or a new position of leadership in the organization who has already and will continue making significant contributions to the community. And the winner of this award is Dr. Adrian Henry, president of Mercy College of Health Sciences. Henry is now in his second year as president and CEO of Mercy College of Health Sciences after previously serving as chief academic officer and associate provost at Hallmark University in San Antonio, where he had been dean of arts, sciences, graduate studies, and research. An avid scholar, Henry has seven degrees, including a pair of master's degrees and a pair of doctorate degrees. He also served more than five years on an active duty in the United States Army as an optometry officer and practiced optometry in the private sector for six years before being recruited into the higher education field. And the next category was Cultural Leader Newcomer of the Year. And this award recognizes an individual who is new to the community or in a new position of leadership in a cultural or nonprofit organization who has already and will continue making significant contributions to the community. And the winner of this award was Ian Roberts, Superintendent of Des Moines Public Schools. He became the superintendent in uh, July of 2023. He's taught special education before he began to move through the administrative ranks. His last stop before Des Moines was as superintendent in Pennsylvania. The 2000 Olympian in track and field for Ganya has degrees in Coppin State, St. John's, Georgetown, and Trident Universities. In Iowa's largest school district, his task includes responding to enrollment declines and repairing the district's ties with leaders that frayed during the COVID-19 pandemic our next article from the business record of january 5th 2024 is on written by david elbert he's a columnist for the business record and his column this week is entitled connie weimer a lifetime of defying and disrupting expectations for much of connie weimer's life the founder and owner of business publications corporation has taken the road less traveled usually it worked out but even when it didn't her failures kept things interesting and memorable Connie is how most people refer to the stylish 91-year-old woman who, like Madonna, Cher, and Dolly, is a single-name identity. She's just about the smartest woman I know," said Des Moines City Councilwoman Marie Wilson. "She pays attention. She can smell out a good. She can smell out good information. A presentation that Weimer made years ago at a Des Moines Chamber of Commerce gathering helps frame her life. Each month, a different community leader was featured at a chamber lunch. Weimer followed appearances by John Ruan and Gary Kirk. Rather than tout her successes, Weimer said, I gave a speech about all the things I tried that didn't work. I believe if you aren't making mistakes, you aren't trying hard enough. One of her failures involved a bridal business centered on an invisible connector that joined tops and skirts, giving brides more flexibility in selecting wedding gowns. It was a brilliant idea, but the creator had no business abilities and didn't seem to able to learn, said Weimer after much frustration she called it a day and took her loss as an investor a fact that gets glossed over is how weimer built one of the most successful local publishing operations in the country today business publications corporations not only publishes a weekly newspaper focused on local businesses and a assortment of digital newsletters it also produces lifestyle magazines about des moines and iowa and publishes books and custom magazines including an annual 150-plus page book of lists that is a who's who of local businesses. In addition, it tackles niche topics in its digital and print publications, ranging from innovation to philanthropy and mental health, among others. She also created, almost by accident, a much-envied event businesses that promotes and celebrates new issues of her magazines and other publications at unveiling parties and content-driven panels and award programs which bring community leaders together periodically to review the economy, seek solutions to common problems, and celebrate leaders in the communities. Weimer didn't set out to do any of that. Nobody talked about college, she said, when she graduated in high school class of 13 in Merrill, Iowa, a small town northeast of Sioux City. Her father, Horace Horton, was a mechanic who could fix anything from watches to tractors. Her mother, Irene, was a homemaker. I went to work at age 12 at the drugstore, not because I had to, but because I wanted to, and I worked there until I graduated high school, Weimer said. At the urging of a teacher, she attended Morningside College in Sioux City for one year, working part-time for 35 cents an hour before moving on. She was attracted to the legal profession because it sounded interesting, and I would continue to learn. Also, she had created her own shorthand, which meant she could take dictation. Connie Horton initially focused on a career as a legal secretary and got a job with a Sioux City lawyer. When her boss was elected to the Iowa legislature, she followed him to Des Moines and never looked back. Her first Des Moines residence was a dormitory style house with curfews on Woodland Avenue that was created for young women for young women who work for insurance companies. Connie attracted the attention of the Iowa legislature and the Des Moines Register, which in 1953 asked the 20-year-old secretary to model for a Sunday feature on proper behavior for a legislative assistants. The full-page article feature, uh, featured six do-and-don't photos. Weimer said, I got a lot of calls after that piece run, and one of the people she met was a handsome young lawyer named Bill Weimer. In 1954, Connie Horton and Bill Weimer were married and started a family. Daughter Amy was born in 1955, daughter Carrie in 1959, and daughter Annabelle in 1962. The Weimers were a fun couple and partied with Bill's clients and Connie's admirers, which included Des Moines Register publisher David Crudenire and Register editor Kenneth McDonald. Connie Weimer appeared in more registered photos focused on dinner parties and political events after she became involved in politics. She helped manage the Iowa staff of Republican Nelson Rockefeller when he ran for president in the 1960s. She later switched sides and worked on the presidential campaign staff of Democrat Harold Hughes in 1971. She was involved in Planned Parenthood, where she helped host a visit to Iowa by Nobel Peace Prize winner Norman Borlaug. And she worked as an interior designer for architect jack bloodgood a creative job that she very much enjoyed but as the daughters grew older weimer realized there was no savings to send the girls to college i thought i've made money for everybody i've ever worked for why can't i do it for myself she started thinking about businesses where she knew people i narrowed that down to three categories lawyers realtors because her husband knew a lot of people in real estate, and Bill Knapp was a close friend of both Connie and Bill Weimer, and the third category, bankers. That effort steered her to the real estate title business. I didn't know anything about it, and it sounded boring, so she settled aside and kept looking. About a year later, she came back and did a deeper dive into each of four local title companies. The only one she could maybe afford to buy was Iowa Title, the smallest and least successful of the group. In 1976, she borrowed $75,000 and bought Iowa Tile on a 20-year contract, putting $50,000 down and keeping $25,000 for cash flow for the operation, which was losing money. Two years later, she bought an IBM System 34 computer and digitized the business, a move that led to Iowa Title going from the smallest to the largest title company in Des Moines. Weimer realized the Daily Business Record, the official Polk County legal publication, would be a good fit for her title business. The newspaper's 900 subscribers were mostly lawyers and real estate professionals who were also customers of Iowa title. In 1981, she bought a small newspaper. The newspaper is not making money, and Weimer realized that a key source of revenue was fees paid by the Polk County Clerk of Courts to list lawsuits and legal actions. $1 per item fee had not been updated in decades, nor had the other legal fees charged by the clerk. Weimer joined a lobbying effort to increase clerk of court fees, which was approved by lawmakers in 1983, boosting her fee to $5 per item and filing fees for lawsuits from $28 to $60. When the increases occurred, local judges bought and decided to drop the longstanding requirement that legal actions be publicized. Privately, lawyers told Weimer the judge objected to a woman owning the business that benefited from the increase. There was nothing Weimer could do except come up with a different business plan, which she did. She took a giant step and decided to make the daily newspaper into a weekly publication and focus on something she knew more about than any other media executive in the Des Moines area, small businesses. In October 1983, she launched the Business Record, a weekly publication that focused on covering small businesses. It was an idea the Des Moines Register had discussed internally for some time, but which the large daily would not get around to doing for two more years, by which time the Business Record would have captured the attention and support of local business leaders. I didn't understand anything about publishing and made a lot of mistakes at first, Weimer said. But she learned quickly. She applied for membership in a business new, new trade association, but was told, your publication does not meet our standards. She asked to attend a meeting was again denied because non-members were not allowed. She asked again was finally allowed to attend after explaining it was the only way to learn how to produce a good product. It's amazing what you can learn in three days, she said. I picked up copies of all the publications, made a lot of changes, and six months later I reapplied and got admitted. Four years later, I was the first female chair of the organization. By 1987, after chairing the first small business committee of the Greater Des Moines Chamber of Commerce Federation, she rose to become the Des Moines Chamber's first chairwoman. In 1990, she was one of three women in the Des Moines Register's list of 25 most influential, influential people in Des Moines. The inspiration for DSM Magazine was a city magazine she saw in Sarasota, Florida. It was beautiful, Weimer said. I thought Des Moines deserved a magazine like this. But she added, magazine publishing is very different from newspapers, and there was a learning curve. I lost money for a couple of years, but there was such a great response to it. People loved it, I would hear it over and over again. It makes me proud to be from Des Moines. Another thing she learned from the magazine was that people love to party. This should not have come as a surprise to a woman who had been the life of parties throughout her life but the way it happened was a couple of weeks before we were to get the first issue back from the printer i thought i've heard about new york launch parties i need to have a launch party so i casually invited everybody i ran into and good friends to a launch party at the art house which was a trendy restaurant and art gallery on Ingersoll avenue where the star bar is today about 75 people showed up, including George Mills, the retired registered political reporter, who was writing books about Des Moines history. Business record photographer Dwayne Tinky caught the crowd when everybody was holding it, uh, the magazine up, and I thought, we've got to have this for every issue. Two weeks later, I got the bills for wine and food from the art house, and I thought, there's no way I can build that into the business plan. That's when she came up with the idea of having advertisers have magazine launches at their businesses and have them pay for the food and wine. Her sales staff sold out the entire year, four issues, immediately. The events, which can attract as many as 700 people on a weeknight, are now a part of Des Moines culture. There's a waiting line of more than a year for sponsorships. Separately, Business Record and DSM hosts paid attendance events that celebrates annual selections of community leaders, 40 under 40, women of influence, and sages over 70. It also hosts periodic power breakfasts that explore timely topics. Although it's not always obvious, family is what drives Weimer. It's why she got into the business in the first place to fund her daughter's educations, and it's why she considered leaving it. The company was my greatest asset, and none of my daughters wanted to come into it, Weimer said. By 2007, each daughter had her own career. Amy was involved in meeting California, Carrie was a physician in Des Moines, and Annabelle owned a Des Moines-based design business. Although her daughters were successful, they would not have known how to market the business and sell it for what it was worth if I died, she said. For estate planning, I needed to sell it and to get my cash out of it, said Weimer, who was 75 at the time. When she was approached by an Ohio company that owned small newspapers, and wanted to get into business publications, Weimer listened and agreed on a price for the entire operation. The sale contract called for her to continue as a consultant until at least 2010. But the Great Recession hit in 2008, and the Ohio Company, which had also purchased other properties, wound up in bankruptcy court where everything was going to be put up for sale. Before that happened, Weimer approached the bankruptcy trustee and reached an agreement to buy back everything she had sold three years earlier. By 2010, however, the recession knocked a lot of value out of all the properties, and while business publications corporations remained strong and profitable through the recession, Weimer was able to buy back business publications at a bargain price. Once Weimer had the properties back, she did a gradual restructuring to make up for changes that occurred as a result of the recession. She also created a plan that gave ownership to top employees. Susanna DeBake, a financial services executive with management and writing skills, who was brought in as president and CEO of Business Publications Corporation. Editor Chris Konetsky, who was promoted to group publisher, and operations manager Jason Swanson, who was promoted to vice president of operations and publisher support. By now, it's clear that many of the roads Weimer chose were less traveled. Her enthusiasm, optimism, and insight widen those paths and continue to bring in new people who every day make Des Moines a better place to live and work. And again, that was a column about Connie Weimer written by David Albert. For the past 11 years, Albert has written the Business Records Albert Files column. Before that, he was a writer, editor, columnist for the Des Moines Register for 37 years covering local politics, business, and culture. And you're listening to this week's edition of the business record, our thanks to the folks at Business Publications for, for, for providing a copy of the business record so Iris can read it for you. If you have any comments on this or any other IRIS program, please give us a call at 515-243-6833, and I'll back to more stories in the business record. Business Record, as part of its anniversary and taking a look back at 2023, interviewed some uh, business leaders, community leaders, um, and so we'll uh, read some of those interviews. The first one is Clyde Evans, Community and Economic Development Director for the City of West Des Moines. He retired in July after 32 years with the City of West Des Moines. He oversaw several major development and redevelopment efforts. During his tenure, he grew up in Illinois, graduated from Ball State University in Indiana, His work in community planning took him to California, but by 1991, Evans and wife Charlene were ready to return to the Midwest to raise their children. He was hired as West Des Moines Community Development Director that year. During his tenure, West Des Moines' population more than doubled to over 71,600 residents. Jordan Creek Town Center, Iowa's largest shopping complex, opened. Microsoft built five data centers in the city and several large companies, including Wells Fargo, have developed corporate campuses. So a couple of the questions they posed him, the first one uh, to Clyde Evans was, what did the city of West Des Moines get right during your 32 years as economic development director and allowed it to nearly double in size? His answer, I think one of the biggest things that the city did was invest in infrastructure. When we would have a major development project like one of the Microsoft data centers, the city by use of Development agreements with minimum assessment agreements would leverage the value of the development to finance the construction of the infrastructure. That has allowed the city to construct hundreds of millions of dollars of public infrastructure like streets, water and sewer lines that the city could not have offered otherwise. By doing that, the city has been able to open up hundreds of acres for new development. Another thing that worked well for us was always trying to think outside the box for solutions to problems. That can-do attitude allowed us to be considered the go-to community, so it gave us a leg up in landing projects. We always looked at development as a partnership and not as an adversarial relationship. Next question they posed, in today's work culture, 32 years is a long time to stay with an organization, especially in the same role. What about leading West Des Moines economic development efforts captured your interest and enthusiasm for three decades? His answer was, there was always the next once-in-a-lifetime project that kept us busy. When you have so much new development and redevelopment occurring, it makes the job fun and interesting. You can see the result of your hard work on a project by getting it done. Another person uh, Business Record interviewed was uh, Jeff Fleming, director of the Des Moines Arts Center. Fleming retired after 25 years at the Des Moines Arts Center, the last 18 as director. Among his numerous accomplishments was the creation of Papa Sculpture Park. Fleming joined the Des Moines Arts Center as a curator, followed by stints as a deputy director before being named director in 2005. He has been nationally recognized for the art Center's focus on presenting the first one-person museum shows in the United States for younger national and international artists. The permanent collection grew to around 6,000 works and became more diverse not only in terms of artists but also in forms of media. He retired in 2023. The first question the business record asked of him How has the perception and prominence of arts role in the greater Des Moines community and culture evolved in the time since you began your tenure at the Arts Center? His answer, I hope that the business and government sectors, as well as the community at large, have witnessed the social and economic benefits that the arts and art organizations can contribute to a community. A great city has great cultural organizations, and we think that Des Moines has made great strides in this over the years, and I only see those benefits increasing in the future. Next question What is the goal reached while you were at the Arts Center that hopes you will have that you hope will have a lasting mark and why? Um, the answer was the creation of the John and Papa and John and Mary Peppa John Sculpture Park in downtown Des Moines transformed the cultural, social, educational, economic landscape of the city. Can you imagine? Can you imagine Des Moines now without this park? Another the person they interviewed in culture was Mark Wyatt, executive director of the Iowa Bicycle Coalition. He announced his retirement in July, an organization he helped start and for which he served as executive director since 2006. During his tenure, Wyatt worked with the legislature, the Iowa Department of Transportation, and community partners to expand the state's trail system, bring more people to bicycling, elevating awareness of bicycling as a healthy activity, and making the state's roads and trails safer for cyclists. First question they posed to Mark was, cycling has become a part of Iowa's identity both inside and outside of the state. What has the sport and cycling as a recreational opportunity done for the state's economy? What needs to be done, including the build-out of Iowa's trail network, to grow the sport's benefits even more? His answer, the simple but effective answer, is infrastructure. We can work on policies and education, but trails and bike lanes are the bigger attraction for new bicyclists and it is more than building out long-distance recreational trails. The Great American Rail Trail across the United States and Iowa is exciting, but we also need to remember underserved areas like Des Moines' south side where trails don't exist. Bicycling thrives when it becomes the convenient choice for transportation. Next question for Mark was, What is a goal reach while you're with the Iowa Bicycle Coalition that will have a lasting impact on the organization in Iowa? His answer, in addition to millions of dollars invested in infrastructure, I would point to our work on distracted driving. The coalition brought language to then Iowa Governor Terry Branstad on distracted driving. We made texting and driving a primary penalty, but we specifically spearheaded the effort to make fatalities caused by texting to have the same penalty as drunk driving, drag racing, and eluding police. In addition, we added distracted driving as a required topic to driver Education And the business record as part of this feature also interviewed uh, the new director, CEO, I should say, of the Greater Des Moines Partnership and Tiffany Toshek. And the Greater Des Moines Partnership is the largest local economic development organization in the metro and completed a seamless CEO transition. Toshek replaced former CEO Jay Byers, who was named president of Simpson College. She joined the partnership in 2015 as Chief Operations Officer after working for nearly eight years as Vice President of Marketing and Development for Catch Des Moines and helped found the Des Moines Downtown Chamber of Commerce. Toshek, a former television reporter for Channel 17 and KGAN in Cedar Rapids and former ballet dancer, told the Business Record in 2021 that her love for downtown grew after working in it for more than 20 years. The first question they posed to Tiffany was, the partnership has grown in recent years, both geographically and its role in Central Iowa economic development. What are your vision and goals for the organization's reach and mission in the coming decade? Her reply, in our extensive conversations with business community leaders, small businesses, city leaders, and elected officials throughout our 11-county listening tour, One of the major themes that came up over and over was the importance of being a premier economic development organization and continuing to ensure our region is a magnet for talent. Our region has been successful for the past several decades because of our ability to work together across jurisdictional boundaries. And that will be even more important to our continued economic development growth and talent attraction success in the coming decade. Next question they asked of Tiffany. Moving into a post-pandemic world, one of the biggest challenges and opportunities for the partnership? Her response, another theme we have heard in our conversations is the opportunity for further bridge building between urban, suburban, and rural community. There's an appetite to increase collaboration even further, and we can be conveners of that in our 11-county region. And the next interview in this feature is with David Keith, president of Insurance Solutions at Wellaby. Keith uh, will become the CEO of the recently rebranded Wellaby, formerly American Enterprise Group, in January. He's currently president of Insurance Solutions. He joined Wellaby in 2016, serving as chief operations officer for four years before moving into his current role, where he oversees sales, product solutions, customer service, technology, and innovation uh, teams, and AE Ventures, the insured tech arm for Wellaby. Before joining Wellaby, Keith was the founder and CEO of SE2, a third party technology solutions provider and administrator for life and annuity companies. He holds a bachelor's degree in business and, economic and economics from St. Mary's College of California. First question they asked of uh, David was AI integration is being discussed for nearly every industry. What are the core practical applications for AI, uh, which is artificial intelligence? in the insurance and insurtech industries and how will business and individual consumer clients feel its impact? His answer, uh, AI can be leveraged in many ways. This includes how we operate our business and utilizing AI to ensure transaction processing. By using both digital and data at the point of sale, we can help create a seamless experience for both agents and consumers, tailoring our approach to how they want to transact with us. This is important for meeting and exceeding expectations in a rapidly changing environment. When it comes to AI capabilities in the form of advanced analytics, we improve complex decision making in the various business functions like claims, underwriting, etc. to help drive better outcomes. Next question they pose to uh, Dave Keith. What's your strategy and philosophy for assuming the top leadership role in an existing company? His answer, i like to summarize my taking over the CEO position of a thriving company in one phrase, maintain course, full speed ahead. Willoughby has been on a path of growth and transformation the last few years, and we're starting to hit full stride. Moving to a unified brand has removed some of the natural inhibitors that, presented, or that prevented a one-team, one-focus mindset, as well as provided us an opportunity to increase our visibility and tell our story more effectively. My strategy is to leverage our strengths and competencies, which include our talent, operating capabilities, and position in the market to be the most trusted provider of health and wealth solutions in an increasingly connected world. I believe we should strive to be a high-performing team, striking the balance of planning for the long term while nimbly responding to the changes in the short term. We also need to be good stewards of the company and continue to uphold the principles of a mutual company. We will do this by, one, establishing purpose to all parties that interact with Willoughby, employees, members, and partners, and two, cementing long-term thinking and value for our policyholders. We will achieve these principles through discipline, innovation, and thought leadership. Business Record, as part of this feature, also interviewed Amanda Wankie. She's the CEO of Dart. Um, state's largest public transit agency she's 46 years old and returned to the transportation agency after she left dart in october 2022 to join new flyer and mci a bus and coach manufacturer she replaced uh, elizabeth prosetti who left earlier this year after 11 years as ceo wanky first joined dart in 2015 as chief external affairs officer and was named chief operating officer and deputy ceo in may of 2020 business uh, record first question for amanda was you've returned to dart took position of ceo during a time of fiscal uncertainty possible service reductions and a franchise fee proposal with the city how could a service reduction affect overall economic development in the region and amanda's answer was we're all very familiar with the record low unemployment rates in our region that are making it hard for employers to recruit and retain workers dart provides 3.2 million rides each year, and 57% of our riders are using DART to get to work. In addition, we know the majority of people currently riding DART have household incomes of $30,000 or less. Let's just estimate, conservatively, that we help 3,500 people get to work and earn $30,000 per year. That is more than $100 million of economic impact to Central Iowa. Conversely, consider the negative impact economic impacts if those riders can't get to their jobs medical appointments classes childcare, or other services that are essential to their lives it is well proven that public transportation offers a direct correlation to healthy and thriving communities cutting service directly affects the lives of our residents and makes it harder for a region to compete for talent the next question of amanda was transit organizations nationwide are modernizing fleets to meet carbon reduction goals and studying Multimodal transportation strategies, including light rail, autonomous vehicles, and rideshare. What do you see as the future needs of the Des Moines area, and where is that investment likely to occur? Amanda's answer, the City of Des Moines Climate Action Plan aims for a carbon-free city by 2050 and calls out the need to make it easier for community members to travel by transit to achieve that. In order to make traveling by transit easier, good, frequent service is critical. It's important to note, in the midst of the funding conversations we're having, the hours of public transit services provided in the region have grown only 1% since 2009, while the population has grown 24%. At the same time, other communities are choosing to invest in transit to reduce carbon emissions and to remain competitive as they seek to attract talent and jobs in their communities. For example... Omaha added bus rapid transit several years ago and is now in the process of building a streetcar. Rochester, Minnesota is building a $150 million bus rapid transit project. And Iowa City is testing free fares and partnering with New Liberty, a community approximately 45 miles to the east, to study adding bus rapid transit to connect to communities. If you want to achieve carbon reduction goals then investment in public transit service, is essential business record also interviewed personnel from the community foundation about their c3 center that opened in 2023 that's a new community hub serving the entire nonprofit and charitable giving sectors and will bring diverse groups and perspectives together to make our community better together the community foundation of greater des moines opened the c3 center in may of 2023 as a central hub to the region's nonprofit and charitable giving communities The foundation purchased the former Tri-City Electric Building behind its headquarters in the Finkbine Mansion and broke ground on the project in May of 2022. The new center offers space for nonprofits to use for training, board meetings, and um, more. So the first question they posed to uh, personnel from the um, community foundation was, how has the C3 center been used so far in 2023? The answer the C three Center was strategically crafted as a hub for a nonprofit and charitable giving sector where connections are made, collaborations form, and the community is built. A hub that absolutely advances our mantra that we're simply better together. Since its opening in the spring of twenty twenty three, the C three center has seen the convergence of ideas, training, and leadership development, fostering a collaborative environment for the nonprofit sector to flourish. Throughout the year, the C3 Center has been a vibrant venue, hosting a diverse array of events for our community partners. We have hosted educational training courses for professional advisors, such as one focusing on relationships with multi-generational clients. We have also hosted trainings for nonprofits in our community, such as training about legal essentials for nonprofits. And we celebrated the graduation of the African American Leadership Academy within its wall. Beyond its role as an event space, the C3 Center also provides valuable office space for the community foundation staff and serves as the home for nonprofit tenants, including LEAD DSM, the Directors' Council, and the Greater Des Moines Public Art Foundation. We can't wait to see how the space will continue to grow for the community. And that's an answer from Christy Nouse, who's the President of Community Foundation of Greater Des Moines. And the next question they asked Christy was, how will a central hub for nonprofits and charitable organizations support the region's development and progress overall? What opportunities does it create? Christie replied Establishing a central hub for nonprofits and the broader community of stakeholders holds immense potential for significantly contributing to the development and progress of a region. We always say we're not going to have a strong community if we don't have a strong nonprofit sector. By providing a dedicated space to convene stakeholders to have critical conversations, promote professional growth and learning, and foster leadership while creating lasting connections, the C3 Center serves as a catalyst for positive change in and for our region. This central hub serves as a focal point for the information and ideas sharing, providing a crucial role in raising awareness about various charitable initiatives and causes, The C3 Center provides a space for organizations to facilitate the sharing of data and insights among nonprofits leading to better informed decision making. Nonprofit leaders can leverage each other's successes and learn from challenges, enhancing their overall impact. Collaborative initiatives also contribute to the capacity building among nonprofits, where the sharing of best practices and training programs collectively work toward improving effectiveness and efficiency, and that was, uh, again, an interview business record did with Christy Naust, the president of the Community Foundation of Greater Des Moines. And I think we have time for one more of these uh, interviews the business record did with business leaders. Uh, this one is uh, Jerica Marshall, she's the executive director of the Director's Council. In July, Marshall became the first executive director of the Director's Council, a coalition of leaders whose mission is to improve conditions in their neighborhood. Neighborhoods that they serve through systemic change. She began her professional career working with high school students who had significant behavioral problems. A year later, she began working as a mortgage specialist, assisting customers having difficulty paying their mortgages. Marshall has been a communications coach, diversity, equity, and inclusion chair at a large financial institution, and at the Greater Des Moines Partnership, worked as a downtown events and placemaking manager. So the first question that they asked of, uh, uh, I'm sorry, that they asked of, uh, uh, let me, well, I'm sorry, I lost my place here, uh, of Jerrica Marshall was this one. Since taking the executive director's role in July, what have you determined are your top priorities and new initiatives for the director's council? Uh, Jerrica's answer was, as the executive director, my primary focus lies in delivering an updated version of our one economy report aligning it with our one-economy state of Black Polk County and the one-economy blueprint for action. This revised report is pivotal as it establishes a baseline for understanding racial inequity in Polk County. It will empower the Director's Council to formulate targeted policy goals aimed at enhancing our community's advancement in addressing these disparities. Next question they asked of Jerrica was, How would you assess the State of Des Moines businesses owned by people of color in the current market conditions? Her answer, the evaluation of businesses owned by people of color in Des Moines, considering current market conditions, underscores the vital necessity for robust business support services. The One Economy Report prominently identified this need, emphasizing the importance of beginning with trusted community providers to lay the groundwork. This insight steered the direction of our spin-off entity, the One Economy Financial Development Corporation, which is uh, acronym OEFDC. That spin-off is dedicated to facilitating access to essential business services and providing small personal and business loans. These initiatives are designed to empower growth and facilitate expansion among entrepreneurs within our community. And our final story, Des Moines radio station raises more than $130,000 for critically ill children. Cumulus Media has announced that 92.5 KJJY, a country music radio station in Des Moines, raised more than 131000 during its two-day radiothon to help uh, children with critical illnesses. And that concludes our January 5th edition of the Business Record. You've been listening to the Business Record on IRIS, the Iowa radio reading information service for the blind and print handicapped. I'm Pat Steele, and thank you for sharing your time this week with IRIS.